I'm Lorna Duick. Welcome to Context. Canada's 43rd Parliament is about to get back to business, and there are more than a few problems for our leaders to solve. For example, how will a minority government get along? And will the Prime Minister do good on his promise to unite our divided land? Will Canada restore trade with China to help Western farmers? And some hotly debated issues, environment, immigration and prostitution are back on the docket. This government must review the restrictions on sex for sale. Victims of human trafficking are at odds with any liberalizing of the sex trade. Also, a court challenge asking to expand medical assistance in dying means this will also hit the House. Will people dealing with chronic mental health, future dementia and those under 18 now be allowed to seek medical suicide? And freedom of religion, Quebec's impact on restricting religious symbols and debate to criminalize conversion therapy, all affecting religious practice. Well, new polling data suggests Christian influence in Canada has dropped drastically. We'll give you the latest on that, and we'll ask how Christian activism will fare in this new parliament. So will Canadian NBA fans objecting to China's wrath on their sport be part of engaging in a free speech debate with that massive nation? Well, Nathan Vanderclip is the Asia correspondent for the Globe and Mail. Nathan joins us from his bureau in Beijing. Hi, Nathan. Hello. Hey, we just watched Canadians leveraging their NBA Raptors passion for free speech issues rooted in China. Does this protest move China to recognize they are being seen as abusive on free speech? Well, I think the NBA issue is an interesting one because there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of concern that's been raised in China watching circles about some of the directions that China has been moving in with regard to issues like free speech, with regard to issues like um, its pressure on foreign companies and that sort of thing. We've seen this um, with hotels, we've seen this with airlines, we've seen this with fashion brands and the like. Um, but it, it felt like very little of that resonated beyond sort of narrow corridors. Uh, and what's happened now with the NBA is this has broken out into a much, much larger audience. Um, and, and, and so what, what, what you've seen now is you've seen a much larger percent of, this, of the population uh, taking an interest in some of these issues. Um, you're seeing, you know, the T-shirts at games and this sort of thing. Um, and it's an indication of, of sort of uh, changing opinions towards China. And so does one protest move the needle with regard to sort of a, a country as big as China and as powerful as China? Probably not. Um, but the, the broader theme here, I would think, uh, for China's leadership, at least the, the elements of China's leadership um, uh, concerned about China's image abroad, has to be a worrying one. Okay. Now, um, as Parliament heads back, Canada has felt severe economic blowback from China after arresting the Huawei executive. Uh, that was by request of the U.S. and two Canadians, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, were arrested as a result. Still being held in China, our new ambassador to China, Dominic Barton, has just met with those detained Canadians. Is the Prime Minister facing a turning of the corner for freedom of our Canadians there? Well, I mean, uh, Mr. Barton's not the first Canadian ambassador um, to meet with, or at least not the first Canadian had a mission here to meet uh, with the uh, with, with the two detainees. Um, they've had regular consular visits. It just so happens that Mr. Barton's now the ambassador here, um, so he's now in a position to do that. Uh, so that doesn't seem to be much of a change. It's just that Canada gets monthly consular visits, okay. and I'm not sure that indicates any shift whatsoever uh, as far as 
um, what, what happens with them. I, I mean, there's obviously a desire um, by the Canadian government and sending somebody with a stature of Mr. Barton to China um, to, that there's some hope of that, that he can help navigate these very choppy waters. Um, but the visit alone doesn't tell us much. All right. Well, Western Canadian farmers are sure hoping that the severe repercussions they have felt from the mess on the China file can be repaired. What must the Trudeau government to do that to get trade moving again? Yeah, I mean, if you ask China, it's very simple. Release Meng Wanzhou. Um, for, for Canada, the calculation is um, a lot more complicated. All right. Now, the other economic issues are one route, but the lack of freedom of religion has been very severe in China. Many, many churches have been closed in the past year. A horrific crackdown on the Uyghur Muslims. Tell us about visiting China's re-education camps. Yeah, I mean, I've never been in one, but I've been I've been um, around them, um, and they look very much like jails. Um, high walls, barbed wire, um, lights on, uh, through very bright lights on through the middle of the night. Uh, we've seen images from state media as well as other sort of some Western correspondents have been allowed in to get a sense of uh, what the classrooms look like. We've spoken with former detainees to get a sense, a uh, very different view, a uh, very less authorized view of what uh, conditions inside are like. And uh, the descriptions are all over um, from um, people who have been arranged by Chinese officials to describe what's happening. Um, the view is that these are effectively a free tuition boarding schools, teaching people necessary skills to become to be productive members of uh, Chinese society. If you listen to uh, some of the others, they, they will tell you that these are places of great deprivation, places um, where uh, people are being meant to uh, abandon their culture and abandon their religion um, in favor of swearing loyalty to uh, China's Communist Party and its leader. All right. Now, globally, we're about to commemorate the day of the persecuted church. What might we do well to remember about Christian life in China? Well, it's, it's a very, very complicated topic because there is an officially sanctioned church here. But I think what we've seen in China in the past number of years um, under the leadership of President Xi Jinping is, is, is an effort um, to uh, assert and reassert uh, the primacy of the state um, and the primacy of the party itself. In, in most aspects of life here in China. Um, and so when, when it comes to the state's relationship with religion, that's a very difficult one because, of course, uh, believers uh, believe in the primacy of, of God. Um, and uh, that, that is a belief uh, that conflicts quite strongly with the party. And, and it's been interesting, actually, in the last year or two, we've actually seen uh, the party itself adopt some of the terminology of religion, talking about sort of faith in sort of the system and belief in the system and using those very religious terms, um, but oriented uh, towards the party and the Chinese system as, a, as opposed and to churches religion. Have been, and churches have been closed. Many churches have been closed. Right. We've had, you know, we've had crosses stripped from other churches. Um, we've had house churches that have fallen under a lot of pressure. We've had uh, pastors that have been arrested. Um, so, um, I mean, China's a big country, and uh, not all things are happening in all places all the time, but it's, it's clear that there is uh, pressure on the church. All right. Nathan Vanderclip from The Globe and Mail joining us from Beijing today. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. David Mulroney is the former ambassador to China, and he joins us now from Toronto. David, there's lots of talk about fixing trade with China in this parliament, but do we have a responsibility to talk about religious freedom in China? We absolutely do. Uh, that's true uh, at any time. 
it's particularly true as China is in the midst of a very ambitious and wide-reaching crackdown on various religious faiths. It's, it's particularly cruel in the far west of China involving the Mu Muslim Uyghurs. So it, it's a, a very important topic, and I, I'm concerned that we haven't found as much time as we need to, to talk about that officially. Okay, so many Canadians do want ethics, do want these kinds of issues of religious freedom, uh, human rights to play a role in trade. Should Canada be wary of doing business without bringing that that forward? Do we, are we, should we be wary of doing business with China? Well, when we consider their relationship with China, I like to say that the whole country engages China. So there's a big economic dimension. We have to engage China if we're going to grow our economy. That's important. Lots of farmers and fishermen and, and business people depend on that. But we also have to consider what kind of China, a country China is becoming and the extent to which China is changing uh, the rules-based order that Canada helped to put in place after the Second World War, a, a rules-based order that found room for freedom of religion. And the truth is that China is pushing aggressively against religious believers throughout China. We're aware of, for example, what's been happening in Tibet. I mentioned the Uyghurs. They're also destroying Christian churches and persecuting Christians, deciding, for example, that children can't uh, be included in church services in, in a very, very uh, aggressive way. So it's important in terms of what the human rights of people in China, but don't forget that China is also increasingly influential internationally. And it's preaching its own gospel that says that economic development trumps political development and human rights. And there are a lot of countries that are all too receptive to that message. So this is an issue that countries like Canada have to take up. All right. And how do we encourage our government to include that as they do these very complex negotiations, uh, you know, trying to get canola back into the market and uh, the entire trade file? Well, I, when I was ambassador, and that was uh, 2009 to 2012, I took a real interest in religion in China and religious freedom. So I tried to build that into my travels. I went to see mosques. I went to see uh, Buddhist temples. I visited uh, a Protestant house church in Yunnan. It was probably slightly illegal, but I managed to do it. Um, the Catholic community in Beijing came to me, the international community, because they had no place to worship. So they said, could we uh, offer, could, you, could the embassy provide space? And we provided space to this community. So we had folks from Africa and Latin America and elsewhere, because they really had no uh, reliable place to worship. Doing and church in the Canadian embassy. Yes, it was called Our Lady of China, and uh, the, the group met there. We canvassed other religious groups, uh, including uh, Protestants and, and Jewish groups and others, to see if they needed the space they didn't. But because at this point China was cracking down on the Catholic Church, it was very tenuous. And um, we would have, you know, at Easter, 300 people in, in the church. And I thought it said a lot about Canadian respect for religious freedom. All right. David Mulrooney, former ambassador of Canada to China from 2009 to 2012. Thank you for joining us and encouraging us to stay active on the religious freedom file in this parliament. Well, some health issues aside from the environment will be hitting this parliament and two of them are particularly hot button on the moral front. One is medical assistance in dying and one is potential changes to our laws against human trafficking and sex trade. 
To help us understand both of these issues, we're joined by Andre Picard, who is the health reporter and columnist for The Globe and Mail. Andre, let's begin with MAID, Medical Assistance in Dying. The Trishon decision in Quebec it means that uh, we are facing a potential change that we should liberalize our access to euthanasia. Why do you think this is a good idea, despite the fact that the disability community is saying this is not a good idea? I think uh, there is a clause in the law that said uh, death had to be reasonably foreseeable. And from day one, we've known this is problematic because it's difficult to define. Uh, doctors didn't like having to, to make this decision. When is someone going to die? Uh, some consumers felt that their choice was being denied. So all these factors came together. And constitutionally, as people, many people predicted from the outset, this clause was struck down. So practically, what does it mean? It means that you don't have to necessarily be dying in, in the coming days to be eligible for MAID. So it does liberalize, it does open it up. So the court has struck down that clause, but it gives the government time to bring in a new law. So we don't know exactly what the liberals will do. We know they're not appealing the decision, but they have to figure out a way to, to define this in law. Okay, the quote that um, I've been given is that disability activists are screaming in the wind, please protect the community in Canada that lives with chronic disability. Uh, they're already feeling pressure that they should end their lives uh, and, and they, they, they feel this is just attributing now to the culture of, of their value is, is less than, an, than another Canadian's. Uh, how do we protect that this doesn't become uh, a risk in Canada? I think it's essential that we protect the rights of people with disabilities, and that's essential if we have legislation for that. And MAID should be about choice. Uh, no one should be forced to do this. It should never be a, a default position. So that, I, I've always argued that all along. We shouldn't, people shouldn't be choosing to end their life because they aren't get getting adequate services because they feel unwanted. That's not what the law is for. The law is to prevent, prevent people from having intolerable suffering regardless of their condition with a disability, without a disability, with cancer, uh, whatever the, the condition. So this new uh, change in the law, it's not so much, I know uh, the, the disability community, some people have reacted to this quite violently, but it's mostly about people with dementia. So it's people with dementia who wanted the right to say beforehand, when I get to a certain place, I want to be able to have an assisted death. So this is not strictly about disability, but I, I understand the concern and the, the worry. Okay, it's going to be a hot issue in Parliament. Let's go now to sex work in Canada and a recent multi-province bus. Take a listen to this. We're seeing a lot of girls that will try and leave their pimp on their own, try and um, evade the violence, and uh, they, get, uh, they get found, they get beaten, they get assaulted as a result of, um, of, getting, uh, of getting found. Okay, Andre, you are writing that uh, the model that the Conservatives put into place in uh, the Nordic model, where you prosecute Johns instead of uh, sex workers, has pushed sex trafficking, uh, the whole sex trade industry, further into the shadows, making their life worse. Why? How so? Well, because it's now it's illegal for men to buy sex or anyone to buy sex. So what happens is the sex workers, it's not illegal for them to sell their services, but they go into back alleys, they hide uh, because they don't want their clients to, to be arrested. So it's, 
Uh, it was a law that was supposed to improve things, but it's essentially we have the same problem as before, but a di in a different form. So what uh, we're seeing groups, a, a number of uh, social agencies and groups are saying we should decriminalize prostitution altogether and then avoid that problem so it can be done openly. People can pay taxes. Uh, we make sure they get checked for uh, so sexually transmitted diseases, et cetera. And then the flip side of that is you also have to, the other aspect of this that's very problematic is uh, we can't have juvenile sex work. That's not acceptable. Uh, the human trafficking piece of the puzzle really has to be addressed. And what people are saying is address those, crack down on those hard, but the people who voluntarily want to work in uh, prostitution or sex work should have the right to do those. That. So it's trying to find that balance. Any indication on how you think Parliament will come down on this issue? Well, it's not clear. We know the Liberals, when the Conservatives brought in their law, Bill C-36, uh, the Liberals voted against it. Uh, the Prime Minister himself voted against it. So did the Justice Minister. So one would suspect they're going to do something uh, to liberalize the law. But uh, I, they haven't said anything openly suggesting that they would embrace a decriminalization as some countries like New Zealand have done. So it's going to be, I think, some liberal approach. They're going to try and find some medium in there. But I, I think there will be a, a bigger crackdown on, on the sex trafficking. As you, you saw from that clip, that's very, very problematic in Canada right now. Okay. Andrew Picard of The Globe and Mail, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Should Parliament decide to decriminalize prostitution? Should this government expand access to euthanasia? Let's check in with Julia Beasley, Director of Public Policy at the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. Okay, Julia, it's been five years since Canada's prostitution laws passed, but now they're up for review. What is on the line for these laws? Yeah, so as I think we talked about back then, these laws were a really significant, it was really a paradigm shift in how our country deals with prostitution. So what our laws did was shift the focus off of those who are being prostituted, recognizing that prostitution is inherently exploitive, that it's violent and dangerous, and instead focused on the demand for paid sex, which is of course what funnels women into prostitution and fuels human trafficking. So under our current laws, it is illegal to purchase or attempt to purchase sexual services or to benefit from or advertise the sale of someone else's sexual services. So when the laws were passed, there was a mandatory five-year review built into the legislation. So this calls for a review of the laws to be initiated within five years and then for a report to be uh, made back to Parliament within a year of that. So this means that a review should begin fairly early in the new parliamentary session. Um, we at the EFC have continued to advocate wherever we can in letters to successive justice ministers, in um, submissions to parliamentary committees on the issue of human trafficking for these laws to be upheld and enforced as a critical tool in the fight to end human trafficking and sexual exploitation. But our laws are at risk. Um, there is immense pressure to decriminalize prostitution. And we know that three of four political parties in a parliament that it's likely to have a few power struggles have said they don't support and would not uphold the current laws. Okay, so, so Julia, okay. this means that it would be open access on sex for sale, brothels would be legal, uh, this is going to be very dangerous to underage uh, people. We've just had the uh, police report on it being a scourge, the latest round of arrests. What do concerned Canadians need to do as they get used to new members of parliament and so on? So 
We are collaborating and mobilizing with allies and survivor-led organizations across the country in support of the laws. We will defend the laws as vigorously as we can, but unfortunately, our voice is not the loudest. Um, it's certainly not the one that resonates with the dominant narrative around prostitution and trafficking. So we really need people who believe that every person has inherent worth and dignity, that no one is entitled to abuse or use another person for their own gratification or profit, and that we can really do so much better for women, girls, and boys who experience poverty, marginalization, and a number of other vulnerabilities but than you, to legitimate therapy. You need us day. to talk to our members of parliament, right? This issue on human trafficking has got to come up uh, as we welcome our new MPs, as they come home for Christmas, other things like that. It's got to be an engagement issue, correct? Uh, grassroots it's engagement on this issue. Do not liberalize sex for sale. Yeah, that was partly, I think, why we had the success last time around, because we had so many people mobilize in support, calling for an approach that goes after the demand for paid sex. Okay. okay, Julia, as we reflect on this past election, let's pull up two charts, new polling data that your group has released. First, how church attendance has dropped like a stone in Canada. So not much uh, ethical information shaping coming from church life when you see that we're down to only 11%. Get their weekly ethical teaching at church. But secondly, let's take a look at this chart. We have many more, according to your polling, now saying I'm a non-religious Canadian. It's gone from 23% to now 50% of Canadians say they have no religious affiliation, yet still almost as many religious affiliation. You can go to our website, see how all those small groups break out. That's Catholic on the bottom at 10 and 11%, Protestant, and then evangelicals at that 6 and 2% window there. However, when you see the country is this divided, half and half between religious and non-religious, will it make a difference to members of parliament on how they craft this legislation? So two things. I think we always have to remember that our elected officials are there to represent us. They are there to represent their constituents. And so that is why, as you said, it is so critical that people get out and have their voices and concerns heard. Because they have to pay attention, right? I had an MP tell us once that if they get five letters on an issue, they know that that means there are many, many more who are concerned in the same way. So it is so important that we not be discouraged by data like this and that we continue to make our concerns heard, continue to build those relationships. Okay, Julia Beasley from the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. You've given lots to think about on problems and challenges facing this political session. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Still ahead, what will the Liberal minority government do for people around the world persecuted for their faith? Gary Stagg from Open Doors joins us. Will religious freedom fare in this new parliament? The last majority Liberal government closed the Office for Religious Freedom that monitored religious persecution around the world. Gary Stagg is the Executive Director for Open Doors Canada. Gary, is that Office for Religious Freedom going to open under this new parliament? Well, your guess is really as good as mine, but we really are hoping that they will, uh, that they will open it. And uh, we're calling on people to 
to uh, rally behind that cause, to uh, mention it to their MPs, to make it a priority because uh, religious freedom is such an important uh, part of all of our lives. Okay, the statistics are um, are shocking globally, but I just want to back up a bit because that activity, I don't know if that was part of it, but Canada is now actually on the radar for religious freedom discriminations. Yes, for the first time in 2018, uh, the World Watch Unit, the World Watch Research Group, who actually puts together for open doors the World Watch list every year that is published in January of every year, uh, for the very first time have contacted us and said, uh, we have some concerns about Canada, but not only Canada, but some other Western countries as well. And it's in regards to the rise of secular intolerance. And so they're wanting to monitor that. And so uh, we're giving them all of the information that uh, we can. And I have a meeting in uh, another week or so okay. uh, with people from that group who are going to give us a little more direction on how we can um, help that whole process. All right. Um, secular intolerance, we'll handle it for now in Canada because the number, the actually the issues of religious freedom globally are staggering. They are. Uh, just, let's just zero in for a moment on Syria and what's happening for Christians in Syria. Yes, so when we heard that the troops were pulled out of uh, Syria, uh, immediately, of course, with my work, I automatically, my heart goes right to the Christians that are there. And uh, so, uh, as it turned out, Christians were impacted by that, and uh, they uh, had to flee their homes. Uh, I know of one family where the wife uh, was struck with um, some strapnel or some kind mm -hmm. of uh, device, and uh, her spine was injured. And so they say that she may be paralyzed for life. Her husband was injured as well. And, uh, but the amazing thing about Syria is that the Christians that are there want to stay, uh, most, for the most part, they don't want to flee their land. And there are some fantastic Christians that want to stay and be, um, to be a service to their community. Okay, the numbers, though, are staggering here uh, that are coming out of this very good data from World Watch Monitor. One in nine global Christians are experiencing significant persecution. Nothing like the secular intolerance we're investigating in Canada. Nothing like that. One in nine, Gary? Yeah. And it's an increase up from just two years ago, one in 12, one in nine. Yes. What give, this is governmental, uh, job loss, what's all involved? There's so many different factors involved in persecution and so many different drivers of persecution. I think that people, when they think of persecution, they automatically, their mind automatically goes to violence. It's not always about violence. In fact, most of the persecution that we see is about what we call the squeeze. It's not the smash, but the squeeze. And the squeeze is uh, just things that they live with every day, the pressure that is on, on their lives every day. Things like their children not being, being giving, given access to proper schooling. Or when it gets down uh, between a Christian and somebody else, when it comes to a, a job, uh, then automatically the Christian would not get that job. Somebody else would get the job. Well, and it can so go sometimes the other way, it, it, it's but the the absolute shutdown of uh, Christian faith in some of the Middle Eastern countries is frightening. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Thank you for helping us uh, stand with the persecuted church. Thank you for the great work that's on OpenDoorsCA.org website. Gary Stagg, Executive Director of Open Doors Canada. A lot to think about. Thank you. For sure. Thank you.
Well, something to put on your to-do list? Write an email thanking your new member of parliament for serving. Their hours and travel are long and grinding. Pray for them. And as you write, do include the issue you want your voice heard on. And when your MP returns home for break and holds their Christmas community welcome, which they will, get out and thank them in person. They work for you. They work for our government and keeping democracy strong belongs to all of us. More on all these ideas on our webpage at Context for All of Us. Thanks for joining us.